welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. This series, we're focusing on female financial independence, looking towards a stronger financial future. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on the show, and please do connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk. So excited to have Caroline here today. Um, she's one of those people that I've followed online because I love what she's doing and how she's doing it. And I love how you obviously, you excuse my language, you obviously give a shit. You obviously care about what it is you're doing. So Sorry. welcome today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, so excited to have this conversation, but we've got to try and sort of keep it within a certain time frame. I feel like I could talk to you for such a long time about this subject. But let's start a little bit about you and your background and your background being that what you've been through personally. So from my can see from the bio that you've had a narcissistic marriage yourself, accumulating over one hundred thousand dollars or pounds in debt. Um, and losing your family home so this is something that I imagine created a lot of anxiety mm. I, I can see you had PTSD from this depression self-harm so this is something that you've personally experienced overcome and now you're helping others which I just think's yeah like amazing congrats like well done for, for getting through that for a start yeah. If you'd have said it to me 10 years ago, or even, you know, I certainly wasn't that sort of seven-year-old little girl saying, this is what I want to do kind of thing. And certainly again, 10 years ago, it wasn't something that I would ever think that I would be doing now, but I definitely feel it is my purpose to be doing this um, right now. But yeah, it was really tough. I mean, I I was brought up on those Ladybird storybooks, you know, Happily Ever After. And I know we were talking before we, we came on air as well about, you know, my mum and dad were very traditional. We always lived in an overdraft, but my dad worked, my mum stayed at home but they still wanted, I've got two older sisters. It was still very much sort of academics. You know, my mum was still driven that she always wanted us as women to have something to fall back on. But mm. even when I look back, even at that stage as well, Rebecca, it was, I, I loved the medical profession for me, you know, anything on the TV, I just was obsessed with it. You know, all of that I still am in some respects. And so I was looking at things to do, but at no point was it ever expected that I'd be a doctor. It was wow. always about, um, what came up was podiatry, physio, occupational therapy, because it would be good when you have children and you can be at home. So already that conditioning was, you know, the woman's role is at home. But wow. yeah, you can work, but you can kind of, it's it's not as important, say, as the man. So they yeah. were all the sort of conditioning elements. And, you know, my dad was a very unemotional person. I was always seeking approval, you know, never getting it, even though I was this high achieving student, captain of the sports teams. You know, when I look back, I think, oh my, God, how more of a perfect daughter I could have been, so to speak. Um, yeah. And my mum was highly codependent. So my mum's sense of worth came from being a mum to, to me and my sisters. And right. being the youngest, I felt that the most because when they left home, I was the one giving my mum a sense of worth. So the wow. dynamic then of our family as I grew up, and of course, I didn't realise any of this until I did my own healing because I thought I had a great childhood. You know, I was fed, I was clothed. You know, it, my mum loved me. My dad was still there working, earning the money. Yeah. Um, but that really shaped then the types of relationships that I would be attracted to because I had this real people pleasing part of myself that I wanted others to validate and show totally me. Totally get it. Um, yeah, like, yeah, I totally get it. I can, I mean, my, I don't hide the fact that my parents broke up when I was really young. So we're talking like I was just over one years old and I was brought up by my grandparents. 
and the my my parents it's really hard for me to say mum and dad because that's how weird it would be for them to be in the same sentence they'd never they were never in the same room for over 30 years and with that came a lot of complexities and a lot of um having to learn um body language and understand like when to back off and when to say things and what what to say and not what to say to one person and not the other one and although I wasn't I had a an okay okay childhood and there's so many things that now as an adult I look back and think wow that 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 that's quite tough that's quite hard to have to handle all that and I think we've all we've all got a story right in that in that respect you know and and as we are growing up our attachments to our caregivers and parents those around us really shape then what we feel about ourselves which then impacts the types of relationships we end up having as we as we become adults and you know certainly for me you know I don't even know how sometimes my mum and dad did stay together because again they slept in separate rooms and it was just you know it was almost like but their generation they're not going to get a divorce mm. so to speak and, I'm, and don't get me wrong I'm, I know they will have had their moments together and of tenderness and things but you know for me seeing that it was it felt like they were there mechanically to bring up a family and they mm. had their roles and you know not necessarily the love for each other so and also like it almost like what your you feel towards what you want and what you want your life to look like is is, is way down the list of priorities like the family unit and you know everybody else and everything to to follow that particular tick that particular box is more important than actually what you want from life absolutely and seeing how my mum was as the woman that became then well that's what a woman needs to do you know you need to please everybody else and wear it with a badge of honor that you're pleasing Mm. everybody else oh god yeah and then with my dad it was well I'm trying to get approval from him and never receiving it but Mm. then that became my norm of a relationship with a man that's how it should be because my dad's men are love me so that's what a loving relationship should look like me feeling like I need to prove myself Mm. And, and all of those you know nuances and like you say complexities of those relationships as they transcend into adulthood you know when I look back don't get me wrong I've had some great friends along the way but I've had some real toxic friendships yeah relationships with men culminating in obviously I married my ex-husband sort of uh, when I was about 26 27 we went on to have my son didn't really recognize anything was necessarily wrong even though when I look back I even on my wedding day I remember I remember looking out of the window at him because we were in this like manor house and thinking am I doing the right thing here Oh, 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 everybody's here. Everybody's here. Of course. Yep, 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 yep. So even then I knew my gut, because we have more messages from our gut to mm. our brain than our brain to our body. Even then there was still something, but I overrode it and everything else and got into that relationship and we became married. And over that period of time when I was married, and again, I didn't realize this until I came out of the relationship that when we had our son, it was, again, I was kind of following that traditional kind of, um, you know, having to getting married, having children. And mm. the interesting thing was as well, to, when we were talking about finances, I was earning more than my ex-husband when we had our son. You know, I, I was, we were both at the time working for the same company and I was higher up than he was and earning more money. But I wanted to be at home because of the conditioning that I had. 
but I was still also I still knew I was an ambitious woman so I did felt this kind of you it's know so cool, well, isn't it it's yeah, quite, quite difficult guilt, but you know actually no I need to give up work and and actually I actually ended up taking who I work for to a tribunal for sex discrimination and I did wow missile um as such but that's our, that's another podcast for all of that <laughs> but when I went but then obviously I was a stay-at-home mum then totally reliant on my ex-husband for paying the bills the finances and everything else and you know and I was very aware of all of that I felt almost you know and I and I didn't realize it at the time but I was trapped almost so over that time after we had my son I started to have these multiple miscarriages then as well. And then eventually I had four miscarriages and then I fell pregnant with my now daughter and six months into my pregnancy with our daughter, I found out that he was having an affair. So at that stage, six months pregnant, got a son, financially reliant on him. We've got a home. What do I do? I mean, I couldn't even go out and get drunk or anything. You know, I couldn't even go and do that. And, and it was just kind of like, well, and of course he was saying, sorry, et cetera, et cetera, as he, as he would. So I thought, well, let's just try, you know, and, and, but I really feel from that moment, there was a light that really went out with me. Mm. And when I look back from that point, we weren't intimate from that moment. That, that was that from conceiving our daughter, that was it, nothing, nothing from that. And over those coming years, and it was years, um, there was just something not right. He worked for an airline as cabin crew, so he was away a lot. So I felt I felt almost like I was a single mum a lot of the time anyway. Mm. I felt very isolated. I was wearing grey clothes, black clothes. I didn't like looking in the mirror. I'd put on weight, obviously, from having children. So I felt disgusted with myself. I knew my husband had had an affair. I was presuming he was probably having more because I was questioning on things. And then he'd get angry at me for questioning the questioning and the manner in which, which is obviously gaslighting at that stage, making me feel like I'm the crazy one. So I did what my mum did. I threw myself into being a mom and that was yeah. my life. And it was only what I did at university. I, I was a podiatrist. So I was a sort of lower limb foot doctor kind of thing. I started to do some home visits just to earn some of my own money, but it wasn't a huge amount by any stretch of the imagination, but it kept my hand in and everything else. And in 2009, my mum died very, very suddenly, literally out of the blue, my oh. rock, the one who so my mom definitely created the need in me to need her. So even though I was an adult at that stage, I was sort of in my late 30s at that stage, I, I knew that I'd always got my mom there. So even though I'd been through this with my husband and everything else, my mom was still my rock because my yeah. mom needed to be my rock because that still gave her that sense of worth. Of course. So when my mom passed away, it was like this rug had been pulled from under me that I still had this need to need someone, which was my mom at the time, that need hadn't disappeared. And then mm. there I was with my husband, who was, you know, goodness knows what he was doing. My dad, who is unemotional. I've got a sister in America. My other sister's great, but again, fairly unemotional at that time um, too. So I felt very alone. I felt very isolated. And for that kind of following year after my mum my passed away, I was looking after my dad because he decided to get two new knees. So again, my focus was on looking after him. I know, crazy, typical father thing as such. But I understand because he was trying to distract himself and that as well. Mm. I get that. And then a year after that, um, we, me and my husband, we things weren't right between us by any stretch. 
And he kept leaving for work early, saying he was staying with a friend and he hated seeing me this unhappy, you know, all, all the usual things. So I was just kind of getting on again, being a mum, but feeling very low about myself. But my sense of worth, like my mum, was being a mum. That that's mm. what, you know, the pattern had was repeating itself. And then I remember one Saturday, I'd gone out and done a home visit for um, a patient of mine. And when I came back, my husband said, tell the kids I'm leaving early, um, but, but I'm leaving. And I don't know what it was. I remember it was on a Saturday as well. I, it, for some reason, I just said, yes, you are, but you're telling the children this time. Now, our daughter, who wasn't quite three at the time, she was actually having a nap. And my, and, um, my son, who was nearly six, so he called our son in and literally told our son. He fell to the, his knees going, no like them is heartbreaking to see Aww. and literally my husband walked out literally got his stuff and left and so I'm there then trying to pick up the pieces with my, I couldn't even call anybody but the one thing going through my mind at that stage bizarrely wasn't like I've lost the love of my life no bizarrely, it was how the hell am I going to survive financially what yeah. the hell we've got a house together yeah. obviously left the home at that stage but what was going to happen my worth was being a mum I was a single mum now my kids were in a broken home now all those words we hear in society which is ashamed I felt alone and and I remember then on the Monday calling up everybody my utilities councils you know everybody and they were great actually I think I managed to shave about 200 pounds off my bills and everything (laughs) But I didn't know how much debt we were in at that stage. I knew we were in right. some debt because lots of families are. And it was only over the coming weeks that when we were, I was working it all out, it was over 70,000 pounds worth of debt, wow. which 23,000 was in my name. Right. Now I was earning a few hundred pound a month at that stage, Gosh. living in a house with a 1600 pound mortgage. And yeah. I'm thinking, how am I gonna? What am I gonna do here? I do and, not. And know. that bit, like you, ah. you, you didn't walk away because you you knew that already, right? So yeah. if you'd have been in a position where I don't know you were earning, I don't know, a couple of grand a month, um, you'd think actually this relationship is not worth my time. And my, my your self worth, even if it might not be perfect, would be that much more because you had a little bit of your own independence. And that this is why I do what I do to. enable women so that if they are in a relationship they don't want to be in anymore you're not having to retrospectively go through that another form of trauma it's like a double form of financial trauma because of the position that you're in and I'm not I don't mean that in a judgmental way I don't want everyone to feel like I'm being judgmental I'm I'm not I know we all we all make choices and we we need to make you know stick with them and if we want to be a stay-at-home mum then I completely respect that I completely but for me I I was made redundant when I was pregnant um with Emily who's 13 now and it was literally six months before the recession hit in financial services in 08 so for me to get another job was impossible so there I am like heavily pregnant trying to get another job couldn't get one um, and I ended up having a, a thyroid what's called a thyroidectomy where I had half my thyroid removed where I have like a nine inch scar on my neck where they remove part of my thyroid and I had massive um, symptoms like depression like postnatal depression but it wasn't it was hormone based and um, I went from being you know my badge of honor a bit like yourself had this great job I was a regional sales manager um, I earned more than my husband did and going to being just a mum I was just a mum and when I tried to get back into work again all my family was just go and work in a bank Becky go back to working as a cashier in a bank 
and I've, I've got a whole story around that but put it this way I, I walked out a couple of interviews crying I, I, I wasn't in a place I, so I totally get what that that place where you're not feeling yourself you're not feeling your normal confidence I know I was wearing pinstripe TM Lewin suits and shirts you know and with cufflinks in London um you know so as a top as a top regional manager going to being not even able to get a cashier job in a bank because my confidence was completely knocked Mm -hmm. and I think for me when I came out the other side of that and I started my business 10 years ago that's been such a driver for me to empower women with their finances so that if you choose to want to be in a situation to be financially independent and you don't want to rely on another partner, male or female, um, and you want to be financially independent, but you choose to have children in that process, then that's absolutely fine as well. That's a new that's a new way of thinking and new way of living. Um, but what you know, what could we be doing? Because your decision at that point would have been very different, I imagine, had you been financially slight, even slightly more independent. I don't know I actually probably don't think it would have been at that really? point because of when you're involved in an abusive relationship you have a trauma bond so right. although, although um you know if I was earning more then maybe but the likelihood is my drive over wanting to make sure that my kids were happy and in a home with both parents because that's what yeah. I believe to be the norm and the yeah. right thing yeah I, have done that to be fair at that stage um, because of the addiction of being in that relationship because that was a normal relationship to me that took me back to my childhood and everything as well and and what happens when we when we're talking about trauma so you know our brain's number one job is to keep us safe alive and in the least amount of pain so if I'm in that relationship and my ex-husband was a covert narcissist if I'm in that relationship what do you mean by covert like that's like like SAS kind of like it is it's a very it is he acts very victim-like almost like it's kind of he's the victim in all of this so he wasn't that typical overt narcissist that you would think that grandiose walk in the room hey look at me right he was very much a covert what we call somatic narcissist so very much how he looked was very important to him he changed clothes a lot every single day um and it was very covert so which makes it very hard then for people with a covert narcissist because to the outside world it looks perfect yeah uh, behind closed doors there's a lot of covert abuse going on gaslighting manipulation you know behavioral um elements to all of that so you know that again made it really challenging because to the outside world we look like this perfect idyllic family so yeah. just again behind closed doors of asking questions and being told different answers looking you in the eye when you think that's not true but actually you start questioning your own sanity and feeling like you're the crazy one you're the sensitive one um, and everything as well and sort of going back to that element of safety with the brain's job of being safe in the least amount of pain me being in some relationships so with my ex-husband to my brain felt safer than not being so it's almost like because I had those feelings of not feeling good enough that had come from being obviously my dad's behavior as a child so that kind of created an inner child wound for me of I'm not good enough because I felt like whatever I was doing to my dad wasn't good enough because my interpretation of my dad's behavior was he's behaving like that because I'm not good enough not behaving like that because of his childhood you know you don't have that capacity no we don't so that kind of created that inner child wound of I'm not good enough so I would have all of these protector parts coming up like people pleasing high achieving you know um 
all of those to try and um, prove my sense of worth to get that praise, to get that recognition, to soothe the wound of not being good enough. So when I'm in that relationship with a narcissist and I'm trying to prove my worth all of the time, that's normal to me. That's a normal relationship for me to be in. That's what my brain knows. And my brain knows, well, being in this relationship, yeah, you might not be happy, but you're alive and you're safe because you were alive and safe as a kid. So we know it's an okay relationship for you to be in. Every cell of my body recognizes that it's familiar, so it's safe. So every time then, if I think about leaving, for instance, my whole system is like, no way, we don't know. That could be even more dangerous. And if you're not with anyone, well, yeah, you are really not good enough then, aren't you? So it's almost like those breadcrumbs of love that I would be getting off my husband at the time to my brain and system and body is like, it's better than nothing. Because if you're not with anything, then my God, that wound is going to bleed like crazy. And this is why when we see women in these abusive relationships and other people just leave them just ignore just go go this is when people aren't trauma informed they don't understand the dynamics of actually it feels safer to be in the relationship yeah um than to leave now that might seem crazy to somebody else but we don't know what has gone on in their past their childhood their relationships previously to create that wound that it feels safer to be in that relationship. And actually most murders, homicides happen in the first seven days of leaving an abusive relationship as That's well. That's very true. I know that to be fact, because the lady we, we, who we spoke to um, said the same thing. Yeah, It's actually most, most of the domestic abuse in terms of then leading to murder. They did um, a specialist yeah. case of 50 uh, most recent murders. So they could create like a, a tool, a support tool for going forward for women that would report it to the police. Um, and yeah, the majority was after the event. So actually leaving and the process of leaving is actually you have to do, do very carefully. Yes, you know, safe. I, I volunteer at the local domestic abuse charity and safety is the priority with this. You have to create that safe space to be able to leave. But very often people feel safer in it and don't want to leave as such. Now, they will know cognitively on some level, this is not a good relationship. I knew it wasn't a good relationship. And this is why if you're trying to say to people, well, even if you're trying to do it in a beautiful, loving, compassionate way, you know, just leave, let's just go. What happens is if they still feel safer in that relationship, just like I did, and you've got family, friends, intentionally trying to support you saying, just go, and then you don't go, you're going to carry on saying to yourself, oh, I really am not even good enough for my friends and family now because they're telling me to go and I'm not going. And what happens is that wound starts bleeding even more. You were still in the relationship anyway, and you start to isolate and retreat even more, which is exactly what I did as well. I would isolate myself. You know, I wouldn't go out much. And again, it was very difficult because of my husband's job at the time too, because of childcare and my mum wasn't around. I didn't want to ask my dad. So, you know, any social life was quite limited it was more around mums of you know kids and stuff like this but I would still put on a front but I'd be in grey tracksuits all of the time literally you know it's a standing joke now when my kids we talk about my grey tracksuits and stuff uh, and everything because I wanted to be invisible I felt worthless you know for the most of my 30s I was in what we call functional freeze so I was totally dissociated totally numbed out I was literally existing functioning as a mum because that's the job I needed to do to get at least some sense of worth still trying on occasion to you know get my marriage working and everything else and then when the relationship ended 
my wound was bleeding even yeah, though cognitively yeah. I was kind of like well now that's giving me the green light I didn't leave I didn't leave badge of honor he left me kind of thing <laughs> you know yeah, right. that's not necessarily a good thing I hasten to add you know but it, in my wisdom at the time I thought it was better for the children you know and again we can't judge people for staying going whatever they not no, gonna, no we don't know the people's circumstances absolutely yeah. So then when I left and I found out we were in all of this debt, it was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And that whole thing of, I don't want to put my kids in full-time childcare because that meant I'm a bad mum, right? And that would then highlight a wound of not being a good enough mum. So I've got all of these things of, I needed money, but I wanted to be at home, but I needed to work, but I actually, childcare costs. So it was all of these. I ended up being stuck in this tax credit trap here in the UK where Mm. I was doing a set amount of hours. And if I even if I did more, I'd actually lose less because of childcare, because of what I'd lose for tax credits. So I kind of worked out what I needed to do hour wise to get the most money I could whilst I was working to try and survive in some way. But I'd have letters coming through my door. I'd put them in the bin. I didn't open them. I just totally buried my head. I just, I didn't have the capacity to deal with it. You know, Mm. I was suffering with complex PTSD, depression, anxiety. Every morning I'd wake up and go and sit on my bathroom floor, desperately trying not to have a panic attack. Sometimes I'd win, sometimes I wouldn't. Before I got my children up for school, I used to literally use the end of the toothpaste on the top of my thighs. And now I know because I use parts therapy and what I do, I use internal family systems. That for me, the pain on my leg when I did that was a great distractor from the pain of feeling not good enough, which is what my brain and body thought was the worst pain. So everything for me was about distracting me away from not feeling good enough and worthless. So you have all of these protector parts, which very often can be destructive protector parts, but they're all there with a good intention. You know, we often look at people's behaviors or our own behaviors and think, I don't want to feel like this. I don't want to behave like this. But actually they are all there with a loving intention, albeit very often a destructive impact. And when we understand then that they're only there to protect you from feeling what your system thinks is the most pain, we can start to work and we can start to process that trauma of, well, why did that wound in the, you know, why did my wound of I'm not good enough actually start in the first place? And we want to process that through not just cognitively, but through the body. So a lot of the work I do is in the body um, as well, because it's so important if we're working with trauma, we have to process that through the body. We have to work somatically to do that because otherwise we're only working on the front part of the brain, which is 10%, you know, the logical rational part emotion overrides logic every single however much we're like I'm not going to eat that cake the moment you get triggered and someone might make you feel not good enough chomp 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 we're going to demolish the cake so to speak and that's how our system works and it's and it's you know it's amazing how we operate as human beings but knowing then that I was this mum my kids were in a broken home single you know and I'd got no money more I'd got more money going out than coming in yeah I hear that a lot I hear a lot of women that you know when I first started 10 years ago I wasn't a financial advisor I was a financial planner non-investment um so I did a lot of mortgages a lot of um, remortgaging um I spoke to a lot of um doing um mortgage capacity letters for women that are getting divorced and so I, I, it's slightly different now where I do more investment things um but my team still hear the same stuff and obviously you know working previously in the industry for so long that that's what you're describing is just so it's so typical for women that are you know been in a relationship they've separated because 
it's like a paradigm of way the way things were and I hope to think and I I do really do wish it that our daughters will have a different set of foundation to work from Um, and I I can see that now I can always see that in my daughter um she's for a start they've got different role models right they've got a different role model in itself um and that was an interesting conversation with a lady the other day which is, is is precisely that that we have to it's not about whether you're happy in the relationship or unhappy in the relationship or if the children are okay or they're not going to be okay and then today what role model are you setting what standard are you example are you giving and you've just explained that beautifully by your set of circumstances that's rolled out in your life is that your parents thought they were doing the best thing and actually the role model that they gave you was actually giving you the wrong impression and unintentionally correct and I think that's the thing it's because we do live in a very judgmental society and and I think you know I look at my parents you know my dad's still here as well and I look at them with so much love and compassion because they they did do the best that they could with what they were then taught and given and I think you know when we talk about healing and being role models it has to start with ourselves first and foremost you know we have to work on ourselves first to be that role model because no matter then you know you want the best for your children it's like the old oxygen mask on an airplane you know you've got to put it on yourself first the best gift you can give to your children is self-love for you to role model that to your children because when you do that and then you start operating from a place of safety and your own true self you see things very differently as such. And then your children Mm. will see things very differently. You know, you're not almost parenting coming from a protector part of anger, frustration, dissociation, hurt, you know, you're coming from a place of your true self. So, you know, you're really working in those different elements. And I know, you know, certainly for me, I I just, I I remember in sort of 2013, when I, um, in the June of that year, I, I hit 40 and I'd, in the April of that year, I'd had my home repossessed. I literally, I couldn't afford it at all. My ex wasn't contract. I get 97 pounds a month from my ex and he's <laughs> on time um, with an airline. I mean, it's crazy. It's all, you know, still in, going through stuff and that not because I need the money now, thank goodness, but because of the principle of it. Mm. And I, I just remember thinking, oh my God, I am 40 years old. I own nothing. I have no assets. I'm working a very, very part-time job as a podiatrist. You know, I've got a qualification as such, but I still wasn't earning any money. I was relying on the state for child tax credits um, or universal credits as they are now. And I felt really ashamed. I felt, how could I have a life like this? What happened, Caroline? What the hell happened for you to be a single mom, bringing your kids up? You've lost your home. You're in this rented. I mean, luckily it was it was a nice rented. I almost want to give this Caroline a cuddle. Oh. I don't recognize this oh. Caroline. The lady sitting in, I know, and in I front of me real, now. Yeah, and I feel real compassion because boy, was I judging myself. Oh no. my. Well, we do that though, right? We beat ourselves up so much more than what we we you know we get love, we love everybody else around us so much more than what, what the love we give ourselves because we're seeking that external approval and validation because that will go back to a childhood wound you know we're we're looking for for other things you know I was this 40 year old woman really coming from a seven-year-old little girl's space and I and even at that stage as well I was waiting because of my conditioning for a knight in shining armor on this white horse to come charging in 
to rescue me because that's what men did to women wasn't it that's what should happen here I was now as this woman as this mom and you know yes I'd gone through a divorce but then right where's the man now to come in and come and rescue me because that's what is meant to happen because that's how it should be man woman you know or woman woman man man you know to kind of have the relationship and so that it's this joint thing to rescue yourself and I remember sitting there I remember it was like this crossroads in my life I thought I can either keep on feeling like this and sit in this space of blaming everybody else you know getting angry at everybody else but mm. you know for nobody coming to rescue me so to speak or go and rescue yourself Caroline yeah. and, and that felt incredibly hard to do it felt like you know someone was saying to me go and climb my, Mount Everest or just take the nice easy route and stay where you are blaming everybody and being angry because that's exactly what it felt like and when you're healing trauma that it can feel like nope don't want to go there because the brain thinks it would be more painful to go down that route and of course it knows this other route because it's familiar <laughs> so just yeah well, it works it much easier to be negative isn't it than positive it takes 10 times more energy it's what we know and my body was filled with neural pathways of negativity and mm-hmm. you know people had let me down and I was playing this same old story to myself um about all of that Ultimately- I'm intrigued to know how you went from being so ashamed of yourself and I'm really shocked in the almost the venom the way you described that feeling oh, to yourself really did. um to where you are now like okay we we all have a journey but that's a leap in its in itself isn't it yeah I think in the uh, towards the end of 2013 bizarrely I ended up joining a network marketing company of all things okay to earn for me at the time an extra few hundred pounds a month 50 pound a week to me was a lot of money okay and and I joined this company didn't even really know what the hell it was or anything else but when I joined I could actually see other people in the company earning this like six-figure income and beyond and I thought how are they doing that I want to learn now I've always been a great student you know that's something that Obviously, having a daddy, you didn't feel I absolutely. So actually, you know, some of those negative parts that you would perceive actually has stood me in really good stead. In some, you know, I'm a hard mm. worker. You know, my work ethic is strong because I'm going to prove my worth, kind of thing. Got it. So I, so I started to build this business in this company, and within a year, myself, I built a team where we were turning over a million pounds worth of products, and I built like thousands in my team. I was qualifying for the holidays. I was getting big checks and stuff Amazing. as well. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was a part of my journey because there's a lot of personal development involved in network marketing. There is, yeah. As soon as you said that, I thought, well, then that, that, make, that makes and sense. And that was kind of an inroad. And I was working with a therapist as well um, at the time. But again, it was a lot of talking. So it's keeping me being re-traumatized with all of that. Just be- And again, when you've divorced a narcissist, that doesn't mean, oh, you've divorced now, everything will go back and it'll be okay. No, 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 no. The abuse escalates when you divorce a narcissist. They'll find other ways of manipulation to get narcissistic supply. So that was all ongoing as well. So there was never let up, so to speak. And because of the trauma bond, I was engaging in all of that as well. I, I hear that so much in other women. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you hear the same thing in your groups and your mm-hmm. communities. Um, I, I hear that over and over again. It does get worse. A bit like that. When you leave, it gets worse. And the chances of, you know, unfortunately, talking quite serious, that's in murdering, a, a physical abuse, not just the emotional abuse. 
Um, but for, for many women that, that didn't have it severe as that, there is still this ongoing controlling behaviour where they don't feel like they, you know, they haven't got the same influence anymore. So that right. they become, some can become quite spiteful. Because narcissists aren't born like that either. They also have these inner child wounds and everything for them is, again, about not feeling that inner child wound. So their parts that show up are abusive parts projecting outwardly onto you to soothe their wound now if you've got a wound you're going to receive that as a very triggering moment you know obviously I'm not triggered at all by my ex now because I don't necessarily have that wound so I'm not receiving his behavior coming then as an activator for my wound you know I'm just my true self so to speak and I'm not receiving it in that way he's not changed my perception of his behavior has changed okay. by processing my trauma. I really love that. But that leads me to a question. So I'm sorry to, if I'm going to interrupt you, but I think it's, I think it's an important one in that we're talking about separating and moving away from this yeah. sort of b- uh, bad behavior. Um, is there a situation where you can have, you know, a, a, a conventional relationship where, you know, actually the, the couples are quite happy and we're not talking abusive relationship as such but possibly the behavior at times because we all have triggers right we all have a past we all have things that we're not aware of I I see a lot of women now getting personal development and I see that then they're actually having to reframe their relationships with their partners because they've healed their wound and therefore the relationship has evolved have you do you find the same 100% and I think it's for all of us you know if we can become we can't heal what we're not aware of you know and everybody has trauma you know trauma isn't just these major life events you know trauma is actually what you say to yourself about your events in your past that then gets stored in the body so trauma isn't necessarily a car crash trauma isn't necessarily narcissistic abuse it's you know trauma for me around narcissistic abuse was his behavior is because I'm not good enough. That was the trauma, not the narcissistic abuse. That's an event. That's a perpetrator. That's somebody, you know, that's why I talk a lot about narcissistic trauma as opposed to narcissistic abuse all the time. Mm. Because if we just talk about narcissistic abuse, that's very much about the abuser. Whereas trauma, narcissistic trauma is what you have. But the beauty of trauma is we can heal that because it's in our power because trauma is about me going, I'm not good enough because of his behavior. So when you say about people having this personal development and everything, you know, as we move through life and we experience these different elements and our own behaviors start to show up, very often we start to think, oh, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them? And actually it should be, well, what happened to me? What happened to them for those parts to show up in the present moment that can be more destructive? You know, why is that person angry all of the time? Why is that person negative all of the time? Because we're not born like that. You know, when we come into this world, you know, we're, we're full of compassion and, confidence and clarity and curiosity and creativity that's who we are if we're not then coming from that place we're blended with one of our protector parts because there's a wound that is being triggered in that particular point and when you're in these relationships you know sometimes your partner may be soothing your wound but then if they have a bad day then you're going to get triggered and blend with your part and then that might trigger them and so you're you're kind of having these relations almost like part to part relationships as opposed to true self to true self relationships 
if you have one person who is and I see this with my husband now even I can see when he's got a part coming up I can see when you know he's triggered about things that annoy him that must annoy him well I don't I don't kind of give him therapy (laughs) over it necessarily as such you know and I have to be mindful of you know I I can be very much there feeling like I can feel compassion and curiosity as to his behavior doesn't mean I don't feel a part coming up sometimes where I want to speak from my anger part to him or something sometimes it (laughs) blends and I do get angry at him but again I don't judge myself anymore if I'm like that I know it's a part of me and I know then there's a wound then that clearly my husband's behavior is maybe just scratch the scab a little bit on it and I need Mm. to go and do some inner work myself but that's me but if you think about other relationships if one person then is doing this personal development and recognizing all of that it can be highly triggering to somebody else because Mm. you know they may well feel they're getting left behind what if they leave me you know that there can be so many different parameters and, and we're all so different and this is really driven by our own nervous system with how we are because we're driven to feel safe so if we're not safe we're then in sort of fight flight or freeze and that can show up in these stress responses that we have you know fight flight is often we mobilize more energy we produce more cortisol where we're the more anxious you know anxiety is a sympathetic trauma response to perception keyword there of danger Often there is no danger, but why am I feeling anxious all the time? Well, that part is coming up to stop you doing something because your brain thinks if you do that, it's going to rip the scab off your core wound, which is what we mustn't feel. So, you know, it's working always for you, but we know from a cognitive perspective, that's not how many people want to live their lives as well. You know, they want to be happy, but our brain isn't set up to just do that we have to intentionally work on being happy wealthy successful our whole system is set up for survival first of all so if we've got a wound from a childhood where it's really painful it's like our brain in that moment goes oh my god this is so painful never want you to feel like this again this is like deep pain because it will be avoid it at all costs because it will be to a kid Mm. but your system then gets stuck So again, when I'm working with my clients, you know, we're working really on a stuck, wounded, younger part of them. And once we can work on that and change, we don't change events that have happened in the past. We can't do that because it's but we change the experience of those events. So I now, when I think of my childhood, I don't think, oh my God, I'm not good enough. And there's a wound there. I can look back with compassion and in my body know, yeah. It was tough the way my dad was and everything. But I now know he didn't do that because of me. He was like that to me because of his stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's a real difference here between cognitively knowing that because many listeners will know that maybe about stuff from their childhood. Yeah. The difference is you've got to feel it in your body as well. You have to process this through your body. Otherwise, you're still going to be stuck in that loop. All How do people do that? How, and I'm conscious that we've been talking for like probably longer than I normally do my podcast. And I'm conscious you might even have another meeting that you need to go to. But I'm, I'm just I'm just going to ask this question anyway. How do you how do you do that? I mean, obviously, it sounds like something you'd need to go and get some professional help. Yeah, from. I mean, there are things you can do. A lot of grounding work is really important to start with to bring your brain back into the present moment, front part and everything. I mean, when I work with my clients or in my groups and communities and programs, I use sort of somatic work. So I use things like brain spotting. We, we map the nervous system. We map what parts of you are showing up. We do brain spotting where we look at eye position to almost unlock 
parts of the brain where that trauma is and just you know the body has a tremendous capacity to heal when it's given the space to do so yeah and also somatic I've just started in somatic experiencing so it really is about allowing your body to feel that which it didn't feel in those moments almost to close that process to close that loop so you can look back and remember as opposed to keep reliving it in the present moment which is very often what we do as human beings and one of the last, maybe second to last questions um, before we wrap up. Um, so you've done the trauma work, you, you know, 2013, you were feeling ashamed and all of that. You're now running a very successful business, helping people through this process and coaching other coaches around how to learn how to do this process as well. Um, and you've got, you know, Facebook followers, podcasts, you know, it's, it's extremely successful business. Do you feel that you, um, financially speaking, well, you know, I'm a wealth strategist from your wealth and your growth of yourself, that that has happened only through the fact that you've, if you like, what's the right word? Um, and I want to use the right, solve the trauma. That's the wrong word. Uh, healed the trauma. Let's be a better word. You can never necessarily heal trauma completely. And I think many people think that it's this destination that we're going to reach. You know, one day you're going to go, ah, oh, I'm healed. Ah, oh, great. You know, I can live my life now. You know, for me, healing is an ongoing journey. It's a lifelong journey for me because I just go deeper, you know, all of the time. And that doesn't mean I don't have bad days. I do, you know, but on the whole, healing for me is recognizing when you dip into those stress responses and how quickly you can get back into feeling present and understanding that you are actually safe in that moment because that moment you dip into fight flight freeze you're you know you're already you're in a past experience you're feeling all of those because it hasn't been processed so for me healing really is an ongoing process and, and I always teach this because very often if people are putting destinations on things it's an it's you're never going to reach it so then you're always criticizing yourself and not being mm. where you think you should be right. uh, well so it's a much softer approach that it's just yeah you know what every day today I'm just going to go with what it is and if I notice something in my body then I'm going to work with it and I know that there's stuff coming up but I'm not doing this with judgment to myself it's just compassion that what amazing human beings we are and if something does come up for me then I know then it, it there's something I just need to work on and I'll go and do work what that I teach I'll do it on myself you know I, right. I walk the walk talk the talk kind of thing because I do it to myself but I think it is important for people to recognize that you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes, particularly yeah. when we talk about trauma, you know, you could be fine for a week, two weeks, six months even, but that moment somebody potentially activates what your core wound is, you will react and you will have those somatic responses that come up as well. So, yeah. And do you believe that that can hold people back? Or do you think that, you know, that drive that you talked about, but possibly people will have a drive, there'll be a certain success and then possibly reach burnout. Is, is yes. that connected? I absolutely. Because if you're constantly in that fight, flight, freeze all of the time producing cortisol, you know, excess cortisol can lead to a lot of dis-ease, inflammation. This is why we tend to find people with ongoing trauma, even if they think they haven't got it, if they're still running their life being in fight, flight and freeze as such thyroid issues, liver problems, kidney, digestive issues, you know, skin issues, alopecia, there's so many 
physical conditions that can then come from that that we put down to oh, I'm just busy mom or I'm just busy this but actually Being lots of plates busy busy right. again and it's another, that's another badge of honor right being busyness Absolutely. we've all got and we're too many of us have got that. Are pumping out this cortisol no wonder they're shattered because what they're doing is they are pumping out cortisol in anticipation of the danger your brain thinks you may or may not be in because of your past experiences mm-hmm. um, and, and of course that's going to lead to burnout and what happens if we're pumping out cortisol ready to fight flight and freeze not because we're actually going to fight or run away but because we might have anxiety or be angry or dissociated then by being in that cortisol response you know our adrenal glands get tired and because we're so focused ready to fight flight or freeze it takes away our body processes from things like digesting food that's why a lot of people will find it maybe difficult to lose weight for instance you know it, it shifts our body away from doing the processes it should be doing naturally on a daily basis got it Oh my God, I knew this, I knew this was going to be amazing. And this, I, 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 there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I, I feel like we should leave it there. And I feel like, tell us, how can we connect with you? And um, just tell about if you've got anything coming up soon. Yeah, so connecting with me, social media is always a great place. Instagram, Facebook, I've got a free support group on Facebook, Narcissistic Abuse and Trauma Recovery for Women. You know, I am really passionate about helping people really become trauma informed I think that's really really important and so you know I've got coming up an integrated trauma informed coaching certification for people who want to learn how to be more trauma informed in what they're doing as well amazing excuse the scratchy noise anyone that no, follows me on instagram at the moment or facebook i currently have a rabbit in my office oh, you can probably hear my dog now as well because i've just <laughs> postman covers <laughs> he did time it well at the end of the podcast (laughs) the end of not interrupting us the other day i had to take his water bottle away because he's so noisy um, whilst he's drinking but he's he's cute he's i'm 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 gradually taming him that he'll come and sit next to me like like an evil cat on my desk or something i couldn't have our dog in here no way she'd be nosing out the window and barking straight away (laughs) (laughs) well it's been absolutely amazing thank you so much for joining us today and um obviously go and connect with caroline go and find her group if it's somebody that you know that you you feel that might be in a difficult place um not necessarily in a you know a narcissistic or an abusive relationship but you feel that they might need some help right now then go and check out the resources and share it with them let them know that they're not alone and that they, there is help out there um, and equally um if something you're going through personally don't feel like you're alone either and come and check out there's many re- resources i'm sure that there's podcast your podcast is amazing um caroline so Go and go and check it out. Just start the process. It's like you say, Caroline. It's it's not one immediate. I've personally been through um, a couple of um, programs in the last few years myself, and I can see a real difference in myself. The version of me ten years ago that I described, pregnant, having a baby, and you know, I was I was made redundant. It was very victim based. Um, my mum left me when I was one. Again, very vi- victim based. There's a story that I've, I've told myself for many, many years, and I saw a real change in myself and what I've achieved and how I go about doing my business, how I show up as a mum. It affects everything I think that we do. Um, and yeah, you've said it beautifully by giving that self love to yourself first and putting yourself first. Yeah, compassion for the person you were, trying to stay safe and do the best that you could. Exactly. Loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you thank you for joining us on today's episode of accelerate your wealth for further help or to connect with rebecca directly 
please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. For any regulated advice, please do head over to www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk.